Mrs. Lirriper's Lodgings by Charles Dickens. The Stories of a London Landlady in Victorian England. Episode 1. How Mrs. Lirriper Carried on the Business. to be worried with letting lodgings that wasn't a lone woman with a living to earn is a thing inconceivable to me, my dear. Excuse the familiarity, but it comes natural to me in my own little room when wishing to open my mind to those people I can trust. And I should be truly thankful if that were all mankind. But such a thing is not so. But you only have to have a furnished rooms to let sign in the window and you can say farewell to your watch on the mantelpiece if you turn your back for a second, however gentlemanly the manners. Nor is being of your own sex any safeguard, as I have reason, in the form of a pair of sugar tongs, to know. For that woman, and a fine woman she was, got me to run for a glass of water on the plea of being with child and going to be confined which certainly turned out to be true, but it was in the police station. Number 81, Norfolk Street, The Strand, London, midway between the city and St James's and within five minutes' walk of the principal places of public amusement is my address. I have rented this house for many years. My dear, you have never found number 81 Norfolk Street, The Strand, advertised in Bradshaw's Railway Guide, and with the blessing of heaven, you never will. Some there are who do not think it lowering themselves to make their names that cheap, even going to the lengths of a fanciful portrait of the house with a coach and four at the door. But what will suit Wozenham's? lower down and on the other side of the way, will not suit me. Miss Wozenham having her opinions and me having mine, though when it comes to systematic underbidding capable of being proven on oath in a court of justice... If Mrs Lirriper names 18 shillings a week, I name 15 and 6. It then comes to a settlement between yourself and your conscience. It is 40 years ago since me and my poor Lirriper got married at St Clement Danes, where I now have a seat in a very pleasant pew with genteel company and my own assock. My poor Lirriper was a handsome figure of a man with a beaming eye and a voice as mellow as a musical instrument made of honey and steel. But he had ever been a free liver, so to speak being in the commercial travelling line and following what he called a lime-kiln road. A dry road, Emma, my dear, where I have to lay the dust with one drink or another all day long and half the night. And it wears me out, Emma, my dear. It wears me out. And this led to his running through a good deal of money. And he might have run through the turnpike too when that dreadful horse of his that never would stand still for an instant set off. But for its being night and the gate shut, it consequently took his wheel and my poor Lirriper and the gig were smashed to atoms. Him being behindhand with the world and being buried at Atfield Church in Hertfordshire, 
Not that it was his native place, but that he had a liking for the Salisbury Arms where we went on our wedding day and passed as happy a fortnight as ever was. I went round to his creditors. <coughs> Gentlemen, I am acquainted with the fact that I am not answerable for my late husband's debts, but I wish to pay them. For I am his lawful wife and his good name is dear to me. I am going into the lodgings, gentlemen, as a business. And if I prosper, every penny that my late husband owed shall be paid for the sake of the love I bore him. Here, here. It took a long time to do, but it was done. And when it was, I don't mind confessing to you, my dear, that... I then put a sandwich and a drop of sherry in a little basket, went down to Atfield Churchyard and kissed my husband's grave. Though, bless you, he had taken me so long to clear his name that my wedding ring was worn quite fine and smooth when I laid it on the green waving grass. But it was about the lodgings that I was intending to hold forth. After fixtures, girls are your first trial. And they try you even worse than what I call the wandering Christians. <laughs> Though why they should roam the earth, coming in and viewing the apartments, quibbling about terms, and never at all wanting them or dreaming of taking them, is a mystery I should be thankful to have explained, if by any miracle it could be. It's wonderful they live so long and thrive so on it, but I suppose the exercise makes it healthy. Knocking on doors so much and going from house to house and up and down stairs all day. And then they're pretending to be so particular and punctual is a most astonishing thing. Could you give me the refusal of the rooms till 20 minutes past 11 the day after tomorrow in the forenoon? And supposing it to be considered essential by my friend from the country, could there be a small iron bedstead put in the little room up the stairs? Why, when I was new to it, my dear, I used to consider before I promised and make my mind anxious with calculations and get quite wearied out with the disappointments. But now I just say, certainly, by all means, well knowing it's a wandering Christian and I shall hear no more about it. Indeed, by this time, I now know most of the wandering Christians by sight as well as they know me, it being the habit of each individual revolving round London in that capacity to come back about twice a year. <laughs> Girls, as I was beginning to remark, are one of your first and lasting troubles, being like your teeth, which begin with convulsions and never cease tormenting you from the time you cut them till they cut you. Even when you employ a good girl, nine times out of ten you'll get a dirty face with it. And naturally, lodgers do not like good society to be shown in with a smear of black across the nose or a smudgy eyebrow. Where they pick it up from is a mystery to me. As in the case of the willingest girl that ever came into our house, half star poor thing. A girl so willing I called her Willing Sophie down on her knees, scrubbing early and late and ever cheerful, but always smiling with a blackened face. I told her to have a regular day for her stoves, keep away from the blacking and not to brush her hair with the bottoms of saucepans. Yet there it always was on her nose, which, 
turning up and being brawled at the end, seemed to boast of it and caused warning from a steady gentleman lodger of mine. Well, consequently, I put poor Sophie to other work and forbid her answering the door or a bell on any account. But she was so unfortunately willing that nothing would stop her flying up the kitchen stairs whenever a bell was heard to tinkle. Finally, I put it to her, for goodness sake, where did it come from? <laughs> I took a deal of black into me, Mum, when I was a small child being much neglected. And I think it must be that it works out. Sophie, my dear, I don't have another fault to find with you. But it will continue to work out of you. What do you think of my helping you away to New South Wales where it might not be noticed? Uh, oh. Nor did I ever repent the money which was well spent. For she married the ship's cook on the voyage and did well and lived happy. And, and so far as I ever heard, it was not noticed in a new state of society to her dying day. My dear. I do assure you that it's a harassing thing to know what kind of girls to give preference to for work. For if they are lively, they get belled off their legs. If they are sluggish, you suffer from it yourself in complaints. If they are sparkle-eyed, they get made love to. If they are smart in their persons, they try on your lodger's clothes. And if they are musical, I defy you to keep them away from bands and organs. And then what the gentleman likes in girls, the ladies don't, which is fruit flot water for all parties. And then there's temper, though such a temper as Caroline Max's, I hope not often. A good-looking black-eyed girl was Caroline. And when a newly married couple came to see London from my first floor with the lady haughty and not liking the comely appearance of Caroline, I mean, nothing of her own to spare, she did try Caroline's patience sorely, though that was no excuse. Oh, Mrs Lirriper, that woman in number one has aggravated me past bearing. Caroline, keep your temper. <laughs> keep my temper? You're right, Mrs Lirriper, so I will. Capital D her. I'll give her a touch of the temper that I keep. What? Who's this? Caroline! Come! Come here, you! Policeman! It's me! Miss Wazenham! Oh, it's Mrs. Lirriper! She's overcharged a lodger to madness! She'll be murdered! I always thought so. Policeman! Save her! Boy! What's going on? She's got a poker! Huh? No! Get off me, copper! G gentlemen, please! I remember that her sex is the sex of your mothers and sisters and sweethearts and... God bless them and you. Thank you, ma'am. Right, oh, Mrs Lirriper, I'm sorry as I ever touched you for you're a kind, motherly old thing. That made me think that I had often wished I had been a mother indeed. 
And how would my heart feel if I had been the mother of that girl? Well, you know, it turned out at the police station that she'd done it before, and so she was sent to prison. When she was to come out, I trotted off to the gate in the evening with the morsel of jelly in that little basket of mine to give her a mite of strength to face the world again. Oh, Caroline, come along with me and sit down under the wall and eat a little trifle I have brought with me to do you good. Oh, Mrs Lirriper, why were you never a mother when there are such mothers as there are? (laughs) Did I really tear your cap to shreds? (laughs) You certainly did so, Caroline. Then why do you wear such funny old caps, you dear old thing? If you hadn't worn such a cap, I don't think I should have ever done it even then. What are you going to do? Oh, I will do well enough. Do not worry. So we parted. She being very thankful and kissing my hands. And I never more saw or heard of that girl. My dear, when you go into the lodgings business, I have not the words to tell you what you lay yourself open to in the way of being the object of uncharitable suspicions. It is a hardship, hurting to the feelings, that lodgers open their minds so wide to the idea that you are trying to get the better of them and shut their minds so close to the idea that they are trying to get the better of you. But as Major Jackman says to me... I know the ways of this circular world, Mrs Lirriper, and that's one of them, all rounded. Dear, dear, 13 years have passed. Though it seems about yesterday, since I was sitting one August evening with my glasses on at the open front parlour window, reading yesterday's paper, when I heard a gentleman come posting across the road and up the street in a dreadful rage. travesty. Madam, I have never been so insulted in my life. Your establishment is a disgrace. Absolute disgrace. By George. I'll go to Mrs Lirippers. Which is Mrs Lirippers? Uh, excuse the intrusion, madam, but pray can you tell me at what number in this street there resides a well-known and much-respected lady by the name of Lirippers? Sir, Mrs Lirripper, your humble servant. Astonishing. A million pardons. Madam, may I ask you to have the kindness to direct one of your domestics to open the door to a gentleman in search of apartments by the name of Jackman? Madam, I am shocked at your opening the door yourself to no worthier fellow than Jimmy Jackman. After you, madam, I never precede a lady. (laughs) Ah, these are parlours. Not musty cupboards, but parlours. And no smell of coal sacks. Oh, no, Mr Jackman. You must be referring to Arundel, Surrey or Howard Street, but not Norfolk. Madam, I refer to Wassenham's lodgings lower down the way. Madam, you can form no notion of what Wassenham's is. It is one vast coal sack. And Miss Wassenham has the principles and manners of a female coal heaver. (sighs) Madam, from the manner in which I have heard her mention you, I know she has no appreciation of a lady. (laughs) And from the manner in which she has conducted herself towards me, I know she has no appreciation of a gentleman. Madam, 
My name is Jackman. Should you require any other reference than what I have already said, I name the Bank of England. Perhaps you know it. And that, my dear, was the beginning of the mages' time occupying the parlours. But now, my dear, I need to check on the new girl who is supposed to be making up the first floor, so please make yourself comfortable while I'm away. <laughs> <laughs>